Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Every now and then we let my wife shoot one of the announcement videos and she thinks she can do whatever she wants in them and truth be told she kind of can. So there's announcements for today. Y'all doing good? Everyone okay? Getting there? Sorry about the rain out on Vista Square. We, uh, as Phil mentioned, we're working with the school to find another time we can go back and serve and love and help and do those things. If you're new or visiting today, this may feel like you're jumping into the last chapter of a book or the last scene of a movie, but I promise I can catch you up. See, we're in the very last week of God's movement, my life. And so just so you know, we've been talking about how do we align ourselves with the movement of God in our lives? How do we position ourselves? in front of God so we're in tune with what he's doing, what he wants to do in us, connected to him and being directed by him to see him move in our lives. And so there's this simple sentence we've said over and over and over through the whole series. It simply says this, when I understand how God works, I can begin to see how God is working. And what we mean by that is simply God's an unchanging God. So we can look in scripture at the way he's moved in times past, look at the way he's moved through history then look back at our lives with that wisdom and see how those patterns can shape our lives today. And so we've identified together this pattern where we talked through these different phases that happen, this calling, this cycle, this movement kind of takes the shape of an awareness of God and then God refining you. By the way, I heard Jeremy spoke last week on this refining thing and did an incredible job. Can we give that dude some love and just say, we appreciate him. I heard it was incredible. And so I'm going to take more Sundays off in the year ahead of us. Um, Then we're going to do the real work that God's called us to do. And the outcome is the world and people in our lives flourishing. And so here's the thing. We've kind of been following this Old Testament hero named David through these different phases of calling and movement. And so we were with David when he began as a shepherd in a field. And when God was looking for somebody to move in, he was looking for the right kind of heart. And we talked about how he's still looking for those kinds of hearts today. We continued in the series and talked about the refining. And David gets propelled into calling through this victory over a giant named Goliath, and he shot forward into calling, but his shoot forward into calling does not mean instant success, does not mean everything's going to go great forever and for always. His propulsion into calling came with a series of problems, came with refining, came with a 14-year period of confusion and feeling lost and depressed and anxious and scared, afraid and alone. But then we discovered in the series that in those dark places, we can find God as well. And that's what David did. And through that fire and refining, he was shaped and he was formed into the kind of leader that God wanted him to be. And when he sat on the throne, finally, 14 years later, he was no longer an insecure little boy, but a confident man of God. And what we're doing today, if you could give me some grace, is we're going to jump about 14 years later in the story, after the refining, after the problems, after the hurt and heartache, to the moment when David finally sits on the throne. 
And I've got to admit to you guys this morning that this message is born out of a little bit of frustration. And what we're going to do on this last week is talk about the real work and the flourishing that God has in our lives. We're going to talk about how to navigate success because honestly, Scripture has all kinds of words to say about the blessing of God and God's great plan to maintain glory and manifest glory for himself is through our flourishing and through us winning and through him bringing real blessing into our lives. That's not health and wealth. It's in the scripture. But my beef this morning is so often in the evangelical church, we've mastered the hardship and suffering, but there's so little to say about when you make it through the process and into the promise. We've mastered. Do y'all ever listen to Christian radio and the day is going good and the sun is shining? I've got a Jeep, the top's down. I'm listening to a song and then all of a sudden they want to hit you with the 15 second Devo. And why is the guy in the 15 second Devo always having a bad day? You've been there? You're just trying to take the kids out to ice cream and he's like, things were just not going well. I was alone, afraid. Have you been there? Well, no, I'm not there now. I'm trying to get ice cream. Eeyore, can we just get to the thing? And it's like, why is the Devo always about a guy having a bad day? Why are the songs, the desert song, and then sings my soul, you know, when everything's bad and all of this stuff, we've got it in the songs. We've got it in the Christian literature about books when you're struggling with your time and time management and books when you're struggling with apologizing too much and having time to wash your face and books about what to do when all this stuff is out of whack in your life and how... And it's like, what is going on with the defeatist culture in Christian culture? I mean, last time I checked, the tomb is empty. Last time I checked, we are a victory people. And on the worst days, and although there are hard days, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm not saying there's not a need for navigating those things. That's why we did that for two weeks. But I'm going, if the tomb is empty, and Scripture says we have access to every spiritual blessing, where is the talk about that? Where is the dialogue about blessing? Where's the theology of blessing that says, how do we handle blessing? How do we posture our hearts in times when things are going good? That's where we're going today. And I believe that matters because you do need to know how to navigate suffering. But you will be lost if you cannot navigate blessing. See, your times in the wilderness will refine you but your times of success and blessing will define you. Do you remember Abraham Lincoln's quote? He simply says, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Your time in the desert will shape you, but your times of success will show you to the world around you what is really in you. And you need to know how to navigate that. You want to test a woman's character? Talk to her when everything's going right and she just got a promotion and her hair looks good at the same time. You want to test a man's character? Talk to him when the home renovation project is now complete and he's got the best yard on the block and the 401k just keeps climbing. Oh, that's when you're going to find out what's in someone. That's what you're going to find out when somebody, what somebody that's when you are going to find out what somebody is truly leaning on. And can I tell you guys, this is the time for us to learn how to posture our hearts for the blessing and promise of God. 
The time to prepare for those moments, to dig a well, is now. The time to lay a spiritual foundation for blessing and success is now. So when you get into those moments, you aren't overtaken by them. We're going to dive in to how to navigate blessing and success. So years later, the battles have been won, the dust has settled David has taken back the holy city of Jerusalem from the enemies of God. Israel is there. He is on his throne. And God sends a message through the prophet Nathan to David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, begins like this. Now then, tell my servant David. Now I've put all the blessing language in yellow. I want you to see it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like all the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning have done. Ever since I've appointed leaders over Israel, I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. Pause. Can I first say victory is possible through God? Can I tell you that's the problem of suffering? Not not a bad day. Suffering. Long-term pain eats away at your soul and causes you to forget the goodness and power of God. It does. We are human. Long periods of pain inevitably make us question the goodness and power of God. We first wonder if he's really good. Second, we wonder if he can really do anything. This text is saying, yes, he can. If you don't have the courage to believe it or the strength to believe it right now, let me believe it for you. Victory can happen through God. Anxiety can turn to peace through God. Your debt can turn into financial stability through the power of God. The depression does not have to be the end of your story. The divorce does not have to be the end of your story. The special needs do not have to write the rest of the story for you and your family because there is a God, he is good, he hasn't forgotten you, he's powerful, and he still can take you and set you on solid ground. We're getting there. We need the keyboard kid to come back, right? (laughs) We're getting there. It's possible. Now, what kind of heart should we maintain when the Lord chooses to bring victory? I'm going to read this to you. And would you just open your soul and let these words in? Listen to the spirit and the soul that's contained in these words. God says to David, you've now been blessed. And listen to David's response. Who am I, sovereign Lord, And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Just underline that. As if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've spoken about the future to the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a human? What more could David say to you for, you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word, according to your will, you've done this great thing and made it known to your servant. 
How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. You've got a note sheet, and you can follow along if you'd like. And under number one, you can just fill in this little blank. Number one, how do we posture ourselves and, and embrace what God's doing and his success and blessing is simply this. Number one, you recognize the success you've been given. Now, I'll tell you this Bible nerd stuff if you want to follow me along. There's a structure in this passage. So God says these things like A, B, C, and D, and then David responds with A, B, C, and D, and they correlate with one another, A and A, B and B, C and C. So the A and A between God and David is simply this interchange where God says, I took you from the pasture, tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel, David. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far. You recognize what God has done in you. Now here's the problem. We are such a future and forward thinking culture. It is so easy for us to look past what God just did, what God is doing, and wish for what he would do. And in the meantime, you miss the very work of God as it's happening around you. Happens in the world of sports all the time. The poor kid was one in millions, and he made it from high school football to college football on a full ride. Then he becomes a college standout, and the recruits start coming to visit his school. He makes it to the NFL Combine, where he's one of 50 million. He gets through the Combine and drafted onto a team. He rides the bench for three years until we call on him when the other quarterback gets injured. He becomes quarterback in the NFL. He's now one in 100 million. And as quarterback in the NFL, he makes it through the playoff to the Super Bowl, for crying out loud, and he's one in 500 million. He wins the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, not the average bowl, the Super Bowl. And then he finishes the game. He takes off his helmet. He's still hot and out of breath. And, and then the reporter runs up to him. And what do they ask the poor guy? So what's next? What's next? What about what just happened? Now, I've been drafted and into the world of the MMA fighters because of Phil and some of these clowns who come through. And, and these guys, they do the unthinkable with their lives. They step into a cage, they lock the cage, and you fight a person. I don't have a category for that. I'm a little afraid right now just thinking of it. And then you win a fight, and they send the joker in with the mic. Who's next? Who's next? You're next. Do you see what just happened right here? Who's next? But can I tell you something? We do this to ourselves all the time. We do this personally. We do this publicly. When we're going, Who, well, what's next? Who's this next, 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 this next. Can I tell you something? Here's the problem with what's next. There's always a what's next next. There's always more you could save, more you could earn, another promotion, higher you could climb, a new problem, something to fix. Spiritually, there's more growth that could occur, things that you want to have happen in your marriage that can make it a better marriage, in your kids and make them better kids, in your life, for crying out loud, to make your life better and your house better and everything next, next is next, is next, is next, and there's always what's next, next. You know the problem with what's next? When you stop looking at what's now and to what's next, 
You become inadequate. Can, can you help me? Kendall, grab that little stick over there. Can I show you? Let me just help you visualize. There you go. Just hold it up. Stand up here. Hold it up tall. Just on the ground and up tall. All right. The problem with what's next is when I compare what's now to what's next, it's always bigger than what's now. What's next is something I haven't done yet. So I feel like what I have done is not enough. What's next is something that God hasn't done yet. So my God of now or back then is not enough. When I turn to what's next and I think of who I want to be and what I could be and what I could do and where I could go and the things that I'd like to have happen before I die and where I am now, I'm inadequate by comparison because what's next is so much bigger than me. But the truth is God just hasn't done that yet. What's next is a recipe for inadequacy. And when you feel inadequate, I don't know very many inadequate people who spend their time thanking God. Thank you, Kendall. Say thanks to Kendall. David doesn't look at what's next. He looks at what was. And although he sat on the throne, he never forgot about the pasture. Although he sat in the seat of success, he never forgot the sheep. He didn't forget waking up before everyone and wondering if the sheep had any meaning or purpose. He didn't forget Goliath and the day that the giant fell. He didn't forget the days in the caves when he was running for his life and he found God there in the caves with him. David did not forget. And can I tell you something? When I look forward to what's next, I feel inadequate. But when I look at where I came from and what God has done, I get grateful real quick. When I look back, at preaching in a nursing home to 13 people, 12 of whom were asleep, teaching them a lesson that probably wasn't accurate theologically, but I was there and I showed up and then I would sit in the car and wonder if I really was supposed to be doing ministry with my life. When I think back of discipling three boys and I had to call them all three times each week just to get them to sit down at Keller's Iron Skillet with some steak and eggs and I was nervous so I would time out the prayer so the server wasn't giving us the food while I was praying because I didn't want to make it weird for anybody. And when I think back at Bible college and I cleaned dishes for a living to get through school and we did preaching class for the first time and I was nervous because I didn't read well as a child and I stood up to read the first Bible passage and the guy shook his head and was like okay bless your heart <laughs> when I think back to 205 Stone Creek Boulevard first apartment with the brown carpet and it came with some barbecue sauce in the fridge and we kept it because we thought it might come in handy later when I think back to Cindy and Phil downstairs smoking cigarettes and making chicken and noodles, and for three years, my clothes smelled like cigarettes and chicken and noodles everywhere I went. What's so funny? When I think about what was, and I look at where I am now, my heart fills with gratitude. Some of you could do this too. Do you remember who you were when you joined the Navy? And you were on the run, and your home life was a wreck, and you just needed structure. Nobody taught you things that were normally taught to kids, and you found the Navy, and they took care of you, and they took you in, and you were in discipline and structure, and you were built and developed, and God was there. 
And he took you to that place and established, established you through that process. And now your kids don't even have a clue what your home life was like because theirs was totally different. You remember that? You remember when your relationship ended and you're like, I don't think I can make it anymore. They were just a part of me. I was with them. They were with me. We did everything together. I don't know if I can make it financially. I don't know if I can make it emotionally. We were there and it felt like you were ruined. And now today you were doing better than you even were back then. You remember when Jesus loved you into his kingdom? You had nothing to offer. And he said, my child, I've been waiting for you. When I look back, I get grateful. And I see just what he has done. What do you do next? Number two in your notes is simply this. You remember the God behind the success. Listen in on David again. Back in Samuel 7, 18. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? That you have brought me this far. You brought me. You brought me this far. That's humility. Humility is not, well, shucks, little old me, I guess it was just okay this time, and the Lord was even able to take a little fool like me and do something good. That's not humility. Humility is not a low view of self. It is a high view of God. Humility is savoring and enjoying just what God has done and pointing to him the whole time. Now, sometimes the Lord gives you the perfect illustration. Britt was working. Lucy was our only kid at the time. And when Britt would work and I'd be off work and I'd have Lucy to really fill the time and bond us, we would hike together. And so we would go on little hikes and around little trails and she just ate it up. She just took the hiking and, and that was better than what I knew to do with a two-year-old. So we hiked all the time. And so one day I got in my mind, back when it was still okay to hike the San Miguel Mountain, not just to the flag, but down the valley and up the other side, if you remember doing that one, I, I got it in my head, I don't know why, Lucy and I were going to make it up to the top of the mountain. Not the flag, the other one. It's three hours round trip for two adults. I've timed it. Yeah, you're, you're ahead of me. So we hiked. And it was hot, but I brought tons of water. I got the drink on the back with the straw where you drink it. And we're drinking it, and I got Skittles, and I'm keeping her hyped up. And she took Lucy's credit. She gets up to the top where the flag is. So you still got to go way down, way up for about another 50 minutes to an hour. She goes up to the flag. She killed it. Just bounced up there. And we were bonding. But by the time we get to that flag, she's not okay. She's fading. And a sensible parent would go, well, let's take our picture, go get banana splits and call it a day. I have not been once accused of being a sensible parent. So I looked down at her, I looked up in the mountain, I said, you want to go up there? She's two, of course she's going to say yes. She says yes. I said, let's do it. We take off downhill, walk down together, but then we've got about 45 minutes of straight up. I grab her by the little hands, turn her around, put her on my back, 
And I'm like, we are making it to the top of this mountain. Now, those of you who hike know it is not like an ambling stroll. It is you are walking like, you know, that kind of hike where you don't even have to run to get out of breath. You don't even have to pick up. You're just getting up the thing, and that is enough. And I am halfway up that thing, and I am wheezing and sweating, and my quads are burning. Like, wheezing and sweating and burning up the side of that thing. Wheezing and sweating and burning. And so we get to the part where it kind of rounds off, and we're making it up to the top. We've made it to the top of the San Miguel Mountain, and Lucy's starting to conclude she can see the antennas that we saw on the ground and she's starting to conclude that we're up there I'm wheezing and sweating and burning and to me this is this parental moment this is a metaphor to me not just a climb I am like I am your dad and I will be beside you and if world ever gets too tough for you you can get on my back and I will take you there and we are up there and I'm not doing good and Lucy in my ear begins to say dad I did it. I did it. I did it. And in fatherly compassion, all I could think is, no, you didn't. We did it. If nothing else, I did it. You didn't do it, though. You wouldn't be up on this mountain without me. And how many times have we done the same thing to God? How many times has he taken us and set us on new heights? Now, you didn't say, I did it. You're more clever than that. But you knew how to steer the conversation around to the fact that it was you who had done it. And you posted about your hustle and your grind and your work and your sweat equity and hashtag this, that, and the other. But there was no hashtag, oh, by the way, God put the breath in my lungs and a soul in my body and vision in my eyes and resources made available to me. Where was that part? You acknowledge the God behind it all. The God who took you from this and made you what you are today. And secondly, you acknowledge God's character. And here's what I mean. I hear so many Christian people say things like, man, I don't want to screw this up. Things are going pretty good right now, so it probably means something's going to go wrong soon. I'm just kind of nervous. The other shoe's going to drop because everything's finally going well for me. That is bad for God and bad for you. Because those statements paint a picture of a sadistic and cruel God who is toying with you for his pleasure. In the Psalms, the character of God is described, and it says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And to assume in your life that he is something else is offensive to him. You ever had somebody mistake your character for something it's not? It's enraging. You ever had somebody look at your actions and intentions and totally read them wrong and paint a picture of you that simply wasn't true? It's enraging. It's outraging. 
I talk about outrage culture all the time here and how it's ruining our country, but I'll tell you the story about the time I was outraged. Um, we had, Britt was pregnant with Lucy, first child for us. And we were in one of those early appointments and they're asking a lot of questions about what kind of pregnancy and what steps are you gonna take? You going down this path or that path? And we talked about all that stuff. She has experience in that field, so we kind of knew the paths. If you don't know our background, I mean, we have been together through thick and thin. We started off, I mean, I'm not joking, brown carpet on the apartment, some McDonald's barbecue sauce in the fridge, and that was all we owned, and we kept the sauce. And we've been, I mean, there's nothing I wouldn't do for her, and she could, she, I would hope she'd say maybe, just maybe, there's nothing that I have not chosen to do for her when it was demanded of me. We started out and we got letters from bills, bill collectors, like, you know, collection services and stuff, because in our background, there was things that we thought were taken care of that nobody took care of that were just passed down to us. And I mean, I can remember draining our bank account one time just to pay off bills and loans and knowing I would do it again a million times. And I can remember putting her through school and nights when, you know, I was working, she was in school and she couldn't be at the anniversary thing because she had a paper to write and it didn't matter because it was just a joy to be able to provide for her and to take care of her so she could take care of herself one day. If anything happened to me, I would do it again a million times. We have been through some stuff. So I'm in there and, and, and I'm standing next to Brit and all we've been through and I, I would die for her. And it's her, this nurse, and I, and the nurse is asking questions about our direction and where we'll go and what we'll do. She has a question, and I say, babe, it's, we talked about this, talk, we want to do this. The nurse looks at me and goes, stop trying to intimidate her, sir. I knew who she thought I was in that moment. I knew what that nurse had seen in certain men that had bullied up on women in those situations, and I knew my background and everything I would do for Brit. And this lady says, Stop trying to intimidate. Yeah, I came all this way to intimidate her. That's what we're doing in this place right now. That, and you ever have one of those ones where you've replayed it in your head a thousand times, and you know what you would have said and you could have said if you got the opportunity to say it all again? There was me. That is me. I got to stop right now and repent. I'm sorry. Bless that woman. I hope she's found Jesus. Okay? Anyway. All I could think is, that's not me. That's not me. And as the people of God, when we tiptoe around, worried about God's thumb of oppression, ready to come and smash us, God is going, that's not me. He's compassionate. He is loving. He is slow to anger, good to all. When he blesses you, it is not so he can just pull the rug out from under you a couple months later. When he lets you taste something good, it is not so he can pull it from you just a few weeks after you finally had it. Loving fathers who are good to all do not take their children to new heights just so they can drop them from higher up. That is not our God. For some of you, the application step is repentance. It is saying, I'm sorry, God. That's not you. And I'm sorry I've made you into that. 
and to step into the warm embrace of a compassionate father who will not leave your side. Finally, number three is simply this. You have to know that the blessings are not just for you. The blessings are not just for you. When God took David from the field and put him in the throne, it was not so that he could sit comfortably in the upper middle class, insulated from all of the yuck out there. If you reread the text, you would see that the blessing given to David was so that the world around him might be blessed through him. What God has given you, he has given you to give away for other people. Blessings are like water. When it sits, it grows stagnant. It is meant to flow. That's how it stays fresh. What simply means if you feel stagnant, you should start by trying to think of the last time you blessed someone. And this is why this text matters. Second Samuel chapter 7 looks from that time in history through the life of Jesus Christ and into our lives today. Because do you remember Jesus' last night with the disciples? Have you sat in the upper room in John 13? Have you seen Jesus, the lone man, the only man on earth who knows what's about to happen over the next three days? Have you seen the stillness in the eyes and the confidence in his heart because he knows resurrection is coming? Have you read John's narrative it tells just what was going on in the heart of our Savior and what he did with it. John 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And hear it. Jesus knew that he had come from the Father and that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Time out. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his feet. Jesus realized he had been made king. Although it hadn't happened yet, Jesus realized the fullness of the blessing of God now rests on his shoulders. Jesus realized that he was important. Jesus realized he was powerful. And what did he do? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he realized the fullness of the blessings of God, he leveraged them to serve other people. When you realize 
who you were, what you once had, and what you've been given now, what do you do? You leverage it to serve other people. We're not going big at the end of this message. Yeah, change the world. Yeah, Vista Square. Yeah, we could change the world if we all just did that. Absolutely. We're going small. Because there's one person you could serve tomorrow. You have the power to lower yourself and lift someone up. And you could do that in the next 24 hours. Why have you been given the success you've been given? Serve other people. Why have you been entrusted with the income that you've been given? It is to serve other people. What's with that home you've been given? To serve other people. What's with those resources and skills you've been given? To serve other people. Why would Jesus claim a church for himself? And bless us with every spiritual blessing. So we can serve other people. Let's pray. God and Father, power us. May the best part of this Sunday be what happens on Monday. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. See you next week for a brand new series. Peace. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.